is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back. I'm Selena Hill with Stanley Fritz and Alyssa Fuchs. And we are here on Truffle Butter. Let Your Voice Be Heard on WHCR 90.3 FM. The voice of Harlem. Yes. And we're starting the show off talking about the chaos and the crisis in Yemen. It's horrible over there. It went from bad to worse to much worse to awful. <laughs> and <Okay>. um, <laughs> I'm just going to give everyone a, a briefing. And then we have a very special special guest on the line who will continue the conversation, will continue the conversation with and will help us get a better understanding of what's going on in Yemen mm-hmm. and why we as cozy, privileged Americans should care. Because I don't care right now. Actually. You are. You do care. And you're going to care even more. So um, the president of Yemen, he actually left his country and and he appears to be in Saudi Arabia, while rebels, as I mentioned earlier, called the Houthis, um, <laughs> they control the capital city of Yemen, Sana. What? Who, who's giving these guys weapons? I mean, that's a great question, Stanley. They're backed by Iran. They're, so uh, they've been uh. trained by Iran. And there's also, like, very complex structure where in which um, the last leader of Yemen was backed by the U.S. And they, in the U.S., supplied them with weapons and Oh, so it's a proxy war. Right. So that's why a lot of people have been calling it a proxy war. It's like everyone keeps giving the tea parties of their region guns. <laughs> that, that's what's happening. I mean, yeah, so it's a lot of corruption and a lot of um, sectarian violence and war and regionalist violence and war. So um, just to continue, a lot of the countries, like I mentioned, around Yemen, uh, like Saudi Arabia, they already started bombing the country and they will and probably will invade it and put some ground troops under there, um, put some troops on the ground there. Um, The Houthi rebel group. They're actually an offshoot from mainstream Shia Islam. And they've been around since the 90s. And they've been having this on and off conflict with with the central Yemi government since 2004. However, um, as I mentioned, the conflict really isn't over just like the religion and the different sects, but it's (laughs) more so because the Houthis fall into the Zadi community. What's that? The Zadi community is another sect of Islam. So it's like the the Shiite. So it's like how Christians have like Baptist, Protestant. Right, okay. right. The different sects. Right. I didn't know that. Wow. Like it's there's there's sex within the sex. You you sound like you're saying sex. sex. There's sex within sex. Se- no. Is this like inception sex. for sex? No. <laughs> no, the sect. Right. Oh, okay. So, um, so what's happening is with the Houthis, um, they believe that the central government has been repressing them and has not upheld their interests. Even when the government transitioned, um, which was pretty recently, when there was new people put in power, they did not represent their interests or their voices. And, you know, what happens when people feel oppressed, that usually uh, leads to an uprising. Um, So basically... It's like the elements of the old regime and the sectarian rebels, they've gained out forces on um, people who are loyal to the government. Oh. And, right. So this is not like a Tea Party version. This is like people who actually have a real, like a legitimate gripe. Um, I would, yes, I would say that. But, I mean, what they're doing is not something that I would support. Well, this is how power is taken. Well, I mean, there's a lot of different things going on because you have Sunnis, you have Shiites, you have Houthis, you have Al-Qaeda, you have the Saudi, you know, and then you have the Americans and the Saudi Arabians coming in and trying to uh, do what they're doing in there. And that's creating conflict. Like, for example, the Houthis don't get along with the uh, with Al-Qaeda. Yeah. But the Houthis right. are actually mad that Saudi Arabia 
and it's and potentially backed by America is bombing Al Qaeda, even though they're moral enemies. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah. So like, there's a lot of different things going on in, yeah. in in the region, and I think a lot of things that even Americans and even smart Americans who understand foreign policy, like myself, don't necessarily understand. George Bush really screwed us up, like. The reverberations of his screw up just keep on coming. They really do. They just keep on coming. So wow. we're at the point now again where Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia has launched their airstrikes. Civilians have already um, started to die. And what's happening uh, is a lot of the people who didn't support the Houthis, they're now either leaning towards them or wanting to fight with them because they see their families and the villages just being bombed because of Saudi Arabia. So, like I said, Houthis are um, allegedly backed by Iran. Mm-hmm. And of course, Suthi, uh, excuse me, Saudi Arabia and Iran um, have been using different people as proxies to just fight all over the Arab region. And yeah. this is like the latest. Meanwhile, we're still in Iraq and we're getting more soldiers put back in Afghanistan and ISIS. All right, go ahead. No, I mean, it, it's pretty disheartening, but I would like to invite our guests on the line. We have Musa Al-Garbi. He is the managing editor for the Southwest Initiative for the Study of Middle East Conflicts, also known as SISMEC, S-I-S-M-E-C. Good morning, Musa. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for um, calling in. I gave a briefing on what's been going on from our understanding, but if you could just relate to us in brief what the events were that led up to this crisis in Yemen. Uh, sure. I mean, it's it's kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll break it down a little bit uh, faster. Uh, so what's interesting is that Prior to the current regime being put in power, Yemen was actually at civil war for more than 30 years between 1962 and 1994. And the the, the former dictator who was overthrown in 2011, he took power of all of Yemen in 1994. Uh, That would be um, President Saleh. And uh, President Saleh was a Zaidi, um, which is, uh, as you you indicated, is... um, Religiously, they're an option. They're they're sort of related to Shia Islam, as are the the Houthis. In fact, the Houthi are a Zaidi group. So there's the Shia, and then a subset of the Shia are the Zaidi, and then a subset of the Zaidi are the are the Houthi. So they're a, a group within the the Zaidis. Um, and so the former president was a Zaidi, but nonetheless, um, the Houthi began a, a, an uprising against the central government. As you indicated, um, from uh, 2000, beginning in 2004, and then running until about 2010, when they when they had the the last ceasefire, which was just prior to the president being ousted. Now that's an important dynamic because the Houthi then are are resisting the central government, but it's not necessarily for um, religious reasons because the president at the time was from their sect. Um, they're resisting the central government for. Um, political reasons, uh, because they thought the government was corrupt, they thought the government was ineffectual. One thing that they were particularly incensed about, um, as you indicated, was the uh, heavy involvement of outside forces in Yemen, like uh, the U.S. drone campaign, which had been going on, which began uh, you know, shortly after 9-11 in 2002 and ran and continues to run to this day. Um, that drone campaign has been highly destabilizing, as Sisnak pointed out in a number of its works, and that's that's a big problem for a lot of um, 
Yemenis, uh, and the, the Houthi were uh, one of the people leading the protests against that. Uh, and then as, the, as time went on, the government was less able to provide services for its people. They were getting a lot of aid from places like uh, Saudi Arabia and the United States, but most of that money was being funneled to the military. And so social services and just the, the, um, the government itself was gradually deteriorating and being hollowed out. And all of this culminated in um, 2010, 2011, with the massive protests in Yemen, which were um, held to be part of the Arab Spring or the Arab uprisings. And the Houthi played a pivotal role in leading, leading that charge. Um, and so that ultimately ended with President Saleh agreeing to step down in a U.S.-brokered deal with Saudi Arabia. He was given diplomatic immunity for the crimes he committed over the, the 30 or so years he was in power. Because, um, again, before he was in charge of the whole country of Yemen, which started in 1994, he was in control of North Yemen. Um, so he was, he was in power for about um, for about 30 years. And, uh, and so was... But unfortunately, when he was driven from power... Um, he was just replaced with his vice president, uh, President Hadi, who's the current president, right. who was also who has also been um, in the upper echelons of the government for um, for years. Musa, and, uh, really quickly. Uh-huh. So, from my understanding, the former president, um, President Saleh, he was actually making deals or with Al Qaeda during his time in the in, during his time and during his reign because. During the Arab Arab Spring, um, a lot of things there was like a, there was allegations that he might be removed from power, and in order to solidify his power, he wanted the U.S. to back him. So he made backroom deals with Al Qaeda, gave them like a little section, and so that and like tried to play it out so that it looked like Al Qaeda would be attacking the central government, so that the U.S. could continue to fund him. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, it's it's true, and it's not unusual. So there's the same dynamic actually happens um, in Pakistan, for instance. Pakistan uh, is a is a military-run um, state, and they rely heavily on, on aid from the United States. Uh, and they get this aid because they're perceived as as a critical ally in the war on terror. So they, um, they also they have um, deals with the Afghan Taliban, basically the Pakistani government does. Uh, in fact, um, the Pakistani, uh, this is a long story, but the Pakistani government and, uh, actually played sort of a pivotal role in helping form the Taliban to drive out the Russians, uh, uh, collaborating with the United States at that time in the 70s. But they continue to have relationships with the Taliban. And so they, um, they also... Uh, Sort of work with the terrorists to to keep this sort of perceived threat uh, at a at a high level, especially when the aid seems to be threatened. You know, magically the terror problem will grow worse, and so the aid will will, will continue to be. Um, so that happens in Pakistan, and and I should add though, in general, a lot of times um, states sort of make Faustian pacts with with uh, really powerful non-state and sub-state actors if they don't have the power to just beat them. So in Mexico, for instance, this was one of the problems why the corruption is so bad. It initially began because some of the cartels just owned, um, were just too strong for the government to outright sort of defeat them. And so they made pacts of like basically mutual non-aggression, but then gradually that becomes a, a, a more, um, the tendrils of the 
cartel sort of increasingly corrupted the government. So rather than just agreeing not to destroy each other, the cartel starts taking over the government. Um, so this this dynamic of government sort of making deals with non-state act and sub-state actors is just unfortunately not unusual. But mm. Saleh does seem to have uh, have taken part in that as well. Right, right. Thank you so much for clarifying that and um, giving a breakdown of how the Houthis came into power. But one of the next things I want to ask you before we go on break is how exactly did these rebels become so powerful? I mean, you said that they led the Arab Spring uprising, but how do they go from that to taking over the capital of Yemen and Arden? Um, How how did that happen? Yeah, so this is important to note as well. So there, um, again, so part of the problem is that, well, well, they are Zaidi. Um, they have a. They're part of a coalition, and they have support that's beyond just the Shia. I mean, the Shia are about forty percent of Yemen. Um, not all of them are Zaidi, and not not all of the Zaidis are Houthi, as I indicated. But most of the Shia have sort of coalesced behind the um, the Houthi. So that's about forty percent of the country. And then additionally, there's other. Um, uh, Sunni groups, uh, political leftists, um, other secular groups that also um, align with the Houthi because they're seen as uh, challenging this. Uh, a lot of people see the current government, the Hadi government, basically as just a continuation of the dictatorship that's been going on for the left. You know, there were supposed to be reforms and transition, and we can talk about this after the break, but both, most of that stuff just hasn't happened and there isn't really any sign that Hadi is going to be, you know, uh, resigning or stepping down or that meaningful reforms are coming down the road. So there's a lot of discontent. So the Houthi are getting a lot of support within Yemen from a lot of different sectors of society, and that's actually part of the reason why they were able to um, reach so far down. And that's that's actually why they were able to seize the capital city in the first place, basically. is um, the In fact, a lot of the military isn't loyal to Hadi, um, and uh, so they they allowed them into the capital in much the same way that the uh, uh, Iraqi forces chose not to resist ISIS in Mosul. They just sort of laid down their arms and left. Um, so a very similar situation happened in Sana, which is why the Houthi were able to take the capital in the first place. Mm. Thank you so much, Musa, for that breakdown. We are actually going to go on a quick break, but we'll be right back here on Let Your Voice Be Heard talking about the crisis in Yemen. <laughs> WHCR 90.3 FM New York. How much time you spent at the mall? All day, all day. How many runners do you get on car? And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. All day, all day. Right here on Let. I mean, WHCR 90.3 FM. The voice of Harlem. We have on the line with us Musa Algarbi. He is the managing editor for the Southwest Initiative for the Study of Middle East Conflicts. And he's talking to us about the crisis in Yemen. And, I mean, this chaos that's going on is so deep, deeply rooted in the, the history of the country. Um, of course, the U.S. is tied in there some type of way because we're always going to some other country and causing problems. And, I mean, what's going on there is absolutely horrible. It's like a whole big mess. And I wanted to lead the conversation now to talk about Saudi Arabia, who recently launched airstrikes in Yemen. Um, before break, we heard a breakdown of how the Houthi rebels 
the rebel group in Yemen who took over the capital, Sana, how, why they even came into power, how they came into power, and why they're there. And again, it's rooted in their oppression and the fact that they basically didn't get along with the central government and weren't being heard and represented. And also, um, the former president of Yemen, Yemen, President Shella, who was a U.S.-backed dictator, he also helped to empower al-Qaeda. And now, from my understanding, he switched sides and is working with the Houthi. Mm-hmm. So it's like this whole big thing. And I wanted to ask Musa um, about the other countries who are getting involved, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Um, we already know Saudi Arabia started bombing, started dropping bombs on Yemen. Can you explain to us what that connection is between Saudi Arabia and Egypt and other countries in the Gulf? Yeah. Um, so actually, part of the reason why the bombing campaign has led more people to um, support the Houthi in Yemen is not just because um, people don't like to get bombed by outside powers. That's true, uh, and that's, <laughs> that's that would cause people to support the Houthi more anyway. But um, Saudi Arabia has a long history in Yemen of meddling in Yemeni politics. For instance, in the in the civil war, as I mentioned, the 30-year war between 62 and 94, part of the reason it went on so long is because of Saudi Arabia's constant meddling. Um, what Saudi Arabia is worried about, particularly in, uh, in Yemen right now, is um, a lot of people aren't familiar with this. When they don't think about this when they think of Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia actually has a fairly large Shia population as well, and they're in the south of Saudi Arabia. Now, the Houthi control the north of Yemen, so the, 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 the Shia in Saudi Arabia and the Shia in Yemen are actually um, kind of close to each other. They're, they're separated by uh, the border, you know, but it's not... Um, it's not super robust. So one one of the things that the Saudi are worried about, um, oh, I should add, and the south of Saudi Arabia is where a lot of critical oil assets are. So the, the Shia in Saudi Arabia have no representation in the government. They're oppressed uh, as well. Um, and so what Saudi Arabia is really worried about is that their own Shia in the south of their own country would be inspired by the uprising just across the border in North Yemen. Um, and maybe decide to try to do something themselves, uh, try to seize autonomy or something like this um, with regards to the oil resources in southern uh, Saudi Arabia. So this is why Saudi Arabia considers it such an important threat, is, is it's not so much the, the, the proxy issue with Iran, it's that they're worried for their own um, southern border. Uh, I should add, with regards to Iran, I mean, so Iran supports uh, a lot of Shia groups in the region uh, in a lot of ways, and they probably are supporting the Houthi, but it's just not its not clear exactly how or to what extent. Um, again, most of the arms that the Houthi, Houthi got, when they um, they got over the, the previous years of civil war, and then when they stormed the capital, they got a lot more arms. What was interesting is that, again, um, their seizing the capital was relatively bloodless. Uh, people didn't really resist them. Um, so uh, that's that's why they were able to to do it so easily. But um, but they got a lot more arms at at that point. So most of their weapons aren't actually coming from Iran. They're 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 from uh, Yemen. But uh, with regards to the coalition of countries bombing other than Saudi Arabia, the other major player is Egypt. And uh, the reason Egypt is taking part in this isn't because of any particular concern that they have about Yemen. It's because uh, after um the uh the current dictator uh, Fatah al-Sisi overthrew the Muslim Brotherhood in in Egypt um because he was so repressive because he um 
was uh, because it was perceived that Egypt was very unstable and tourism dropped in Egypt after the dictators took power. Uh, so Egypt basically didn't have a solvent economy and it was on the verge of collapse. And a lot of countries um, weren't necessarily willing to um, chime in and keep them afloat. And then even the IMF and the World Bank were hesitant to, to loan them stuff. And if they were going to give them loans, it was under the condition that they you know, cut a lot of subsidies or... Um, privatized a lot of their economy, which would have been very unpopular, and so the new dictator didn't want to do that either. So the, the, the country that agreed to prop Egypt up, basically, and prop this dictatorship up is Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia is literally single-handedly underwriting the entire Egyptian economy right now. So um, now uh, Egypt is basically paying it forward in Yemen, uh, and um, it, they have one of the most effective fighting forces in the region, uh, so that's that would be um, why they would be the ones to be relied on, for instance, for providing ground troops. What's ironic, I should add, is that during that 30-year civil war I mentioned before, um, that was actually a proxy war. The reason it lasted so long was because that was actually a proxy war uh, between Saudi Arabia and Egypt at the time. Uh, Egypt at the time was run by a secular guy, uh, Nasser. Um, also a dictator, but, you know, um, and uh, he was trying to empower some, uh, uh, this this movement in, 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 the, uh, in the north, and then the Saudis were funding this movement in, uh, in the south. Actually, uh, sorry, switched those two. But, um, so actually it was, basically at that time it was Egypt and Saudi Arabia vying for control of Yemen, and that's, that's what uh, made the civil war last so long. So it's it's kind of strange and ironic now that it's Egypt and Saudi Arabia collaborating to uh, um, to carry out this offensive. Thank you so much for that elaborate and detailed um, answer and response, Musa. We're really learning and taking so much in, and I wanted to ask you for a point of clarity, because it sounds like what you're saying is we don't know to what degree Iran is backing the Houthi. So my question is, how accurate is it to call the crisis in Yemen a proxy war for um for Saudi Arabia um, and or versus Iran, or is it that the rebels and al-Qaeda supporters in Yemen are being motivated by their own political agenda? Yeah, I think it's the second one. I mean, the, so the, the idea of a sectarian war or a proxy war, a lot of a lot of people, especially journalists, like to use that because it's just it's an easy narrative. So especially if you only have a little bit of time to talk between the commercial break or something like that, it's something that's very easy to just throw in there, and, and it provides some kind of a frame for analyzing. But it's not it's not super accurate. Um, so the uh, I mean, so the Houthi uh, they were they were taking they even tried to take part um, in the transition uh, after Saleh was was uh, overthrown. They weren't. Uh, big fan of Hadi staying in power, um, but to, to underscore just how complex the problem in Yemen is. So, after um, Hadi took power, there was supposed to be this constitutional committee that was going to get together and, and form a new framework for a new Yemen. And basically, what the conclusion they came to was that they wanted to just dissolve Yemen instead of being one state. It was going to be a federation of six states, a loose federation of six states. They just wanted to dissolve Yemen altogether. Um, and uh, that was put on, the, uh, basically, the, the kibosh was put on that. So after they passed this constitutional committee for deciding what Yemen should look like, uh, when they were like, actually, we should just break up into six states, they were like, actually, uh, we're just not going to do what you recommended <laughs> after all. So this was, um, 
so the problem isn't necessarily the Houthi. The problem is that Yemen is a very divided society, and it's been a very divided society for a long time. And basically, they're trying to force um, the international community, U.S., Saudi Arabia, etc., uh, are trying to force the country to be something that it's not, which is some unified entity. Um, and uh, and what's worse is that they're trying to superimpose this this unity on Yemen that's just not there. And the people who they're having spearhead this single government is this ineffective and unpopular dictatorship. I mean, um, so so again, part of the reason the Houthi have been able to seize so much territory is because they are sort of popularly backed, even by people who aren't Shia. And conversely, part of the reason why they're being backed so much is because the government, the actual government, the central government, is very unpopular. It's not effective at providing goods and services. Um, it's seen as being beholden to foreign powers too much. It's uh, it's um, not effective at fighting, uh, you know, uh, terrorism or providing security for the people. And it continues to be very oppressive, and the reforms haven't really, really um, happened. Yes, and uh, thank you so much for that. If you guys are listening and you have a question or a comment for our guests, you can call in at 212-650-6903. Musa, my name is Alyssa. I'm just jumping in here a second. Um, but uh, you mentioned some things that I wanted to circle back to. One of them is about uh, Hadi, the current president, and how he's sort of been propped up by the U.S. government. A lot of people believe that a lot that, that has to do with um, the fact that he agreed to allow the U.S. to continue their drone strikes against al-Qaeda. Um, and that has also led to the belief that that's sort of the reason why Sunnis and Shiites are actually getting along against that, because they're against Hadi. He's not popular due to the fact that he is in cahoots with the Americans, uh, so to speak. So I guess my question is, is the Americans' involvement in Yemen solely about terrorism and wanting to protect Americans from terrorism? Or is there other counter-narratives going on with respect to, say, oil or other things that I may not be thinking of at the moment? Yeah, so what's unfortunate uh, for Yemen is that they, they, they don't really have any resources. They're very water poor, they're very oil poor. So um so there's not a lot to be gained from from Yemen. So um most of the countries who are interacting with Yemen, Saudi Arabia, the US and most other countries, are mostly um just concerned about their own security, about trying to contain Yemen. And this is a big problem because they're never really engaging um with the Yemeni people or trying to make the government in Yemen really function for the people of Yemen. Everyone is sort of involved in Yemen for their own self-serving reasons. And the Yemeni people know that, which is why they resent U.S. involvement, which is why they resent Saudi involvement. Um, it's because they're, it's a transparently exploitative relationship. And the drone strikes are very destabilizing in Yemen, and they have been for a long time. It destroys a lot of infrastructure. It um, undermines a lot of social um, norms and bounds. It prevents the government from being able to uh, exercise authority in a lot of areas. Which is what allows, ironically, which is what allows Al Qaeda to continue flourishing in Yemen in the first place. Um, so it's a very, uh, yeah. So um, I, I guess I would, I would, I would agree with your, with your initial premise there. And I'm jumping in the conversation too, just sticking to America and the drone strike. So now we have the Houthis who are kind of, who are more or less taking over Yemen at the time. What happens if they're able to hold on to this power with America's ability to use drone strikes to go after terrorists? Um, yeah. Oh, I should add. Uh, so, yeah, one of the reasons why they, uh, why uh, as um, 
that was a very insightful comment that she made at the at the start the the previous um commentator so um so Saleh was under pre- a lot of pressure for the sake of maintaining legitimacy with his people to sort of scale back the drone program in Yemen. So when he was uh, ultimately replaced as part of that U.S. and Saudi brokered deal, Hadi was um, much more open to even expanding drone operations in Yemen. So that's that's the reason why he's um, so favored currently by the United States. Uh, it's because he's he's so very compliant um, with with the drone program and. Uh, so the question is as to if Hadi is not able to um, sort of be put in power, what, what that would mean for the drone strikes. Uh, unfortunately, what's been happening is the U.S. hasn't stopped the drone strikes. They, they, the State Department even said that despite the government being overthrown, um, they're just going to continue doing what they're doing, even though they're, they're, there's no one on the ground in Yemen who they're coordinating with or, or getting consent from. They're just basically going to keep keep doing what they're doing. USA. Um, USA. <laughs> That's how we roll. We don't ask <laughs> with, no. with no, you know, degree of knowing how effective the strikes even are in preventing terrorist attacks at home. Science and research is stupid, Alyssa. We blow things up because of America and Jesus. All right. I don't know about the Jesus part, but yeah. Um, Musa, we actually have to wrap this up. But before we let you go, can you briefly tell us why Americans should be paying attention to this unrest in Yemen? And do you think the U.S. should have any involvement in this crisis moving forward? Oh, yo. Yeah. So it's, um, if, the US continue, if the U.S. wants to have um, involvement in Yemen, it needs to be a, a deeper involvement Um oriented to solving a lot of their underlying social problems, trying to continue propping up this dictatorship for the sake of stability so you can continue, you know, um, drone operations, is not the sort of involvement that the U.S. should have. Uh, and the drone strikes, I should add, are not very effective at preventing terrorism. Sismic did a number of uh, important research pieces on this, which are available on the website and, and other media outlets. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, so my... my the suggestion I would have is that if the U.S. wants to be continued uh, to continue its involvement in Yemen, it needs a, a deeper and a different kind of in, uh, involvement. As far as why the American people should care, they should care because it's um, this continued instability in Yemen, which uh, allows uh, groups like Al Qaeda to um, continue to operate, and that's not necessarily a threat, a direct threat to the U.S. Um, the terrorism threat to the United States is dramatically overstated. But it is highly destabilizing for the Middle East and for the people of the Middle East. Um, so, um, I mean, I, I guess it's more of a humanitarian problem than a security problem because the security threat posed by al-Qaeda and even by ISIS is dramatically overstated. Thank you so much, Musa. Please tell our listeners how they can um, find out more about you, your writings, and your commentary on this issue. Sure. So I have my own uh, website, which has my writings from Al Jazeera and other venues at um, fiatsofia.org, F-I-A-T-S-O-P-H-I-A.org. And then um, sysmec.org has, um, that's the site that I, uh, as you indicated, I'm the managing editor for. So there's some of my writing there and uh, also some, some work from some of my esteemed colleagues. Thank you again, Musa. And I just wanted to wrap up the segment by saying briefly that um, when it, as we see, the Yemen government is riddled in corruption. It's actually been named one of the 
the 10th most corrupt government in the world, and we see why. But I feel like the victims here, who we didn't get a chance to really talk about, are the civilians who are just in the midst of the uh, in the midst of poverty, corruption, and power, uh, and, and greed as these different leaders try to grab power. Um, and also, I just wanted to make note that as Americans, a lot of times we aren't, you know, we're caught up in our domestic issues and we don't really pay attention. But what happens is this instability in other countries does fuel um, Al-Qaeda as every different type of group tries to make a power grab. And then all of a sudden we're wondering why we're dropping bombs on different countries. And as we know, and as our guest pointed out, this is counterproductive as well because it also helps. And it also turns into people just um, joining those terrorist groups that we're supposed to be fighting. So it is very complex and it is very deep. But I encourage everyone to continue to follow the issue and to stay informed and educated and empowered. And on that note, we are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're coming back to the news roundup right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. 